Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. Thank you so much for joining us. I am your host, Marissa Meyer, and today I am joined by my favorite two co-hosts. Uh, girls, do you want to say hi? Yes, we would love to. Uh-huh. Hi, my name is Delaney, and I am seven, and I'm really glad to be here. And hi, my name is Sloan. I am also seven, her twin sister. Um, and I am really glad to be here too with my sister and all of you guys. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, girls. So one thing that's making me happy this week is tomorrow, the day after this recording, is World Read Aloud Day, and it is perfect timing because reading to the girls, uh, as I'm sure many of you know, is one of my favorite parenty things to do. And as much as I love picture books, I was very happy when their attention spans started to grow and got long enough that we could get started on some fun chapter books and now some middle grade. Um, and we've read some really awesome ones lately including the book that we are going to be talking about today. Um, I'd say it might be my favorite book that I have read to the girls so far. We have loved it. Uh, so I'm just so excited. So World Read Aloud Day. Hooray. Of course, in our house, it kind of feels like Read Aloud Day all the time. Uh, Sloan, what's making you happy this week? Well, this week I got lots of rollerblading in with my sister, and that's what's making me happy. How about you, D-Lops? Today is making me happy because I'm all here with my bestest, bestest sister and my bestest mom, and I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> uh, and of course, we are so happy to be talking to today's guest. A graduate from Dartmouth College with a BA in English and a Master of Arts in Education, she has been a teacher for more than 27 years. Her debut middle grade novel, A Comb of Wishes, comes out tomorrow on February 8th. Please welcome Lisa Stringfellow. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We are very thrilled to be here, very excited to talk to you. Uh, as I said, we've been reading this book for the past week or so um, at our bedtimes, and we actually haven't finished it. We only have like, I don't know, maybe like 40 or 50 pages to go. It is super intense, and we were up way past our bedtime last night Aww. trying to get to the end, but we couldn't do Aww. it. So we will be finishing it tonight, and I'm really excited to see how it goes. Yay, I'm excited for you. <laughs> So Lisa, why don't we start with you telling listeners what is A Comb of Wishes about? Thank you. I will. Um, a Comb of Wishes is about 12-year-old Keela, who has recently lost her mother. Uh, and she is grieving for her and trying to find her new way in the world. One of her hobbies is collecting sea glass. And so she is out on the beach one day and she's joined by her very best friend, a girl named Lissy, who she kind of had been pushing away um, as she's been dealing with, with the loss of her mom. But she and Lissy start exploring and collecting glass. And Keela hears a mysterious sound in the distance and she follows it. 
And it leads her to her coral cave where she finds a box. And the box seems to hum and she's just full of curiosity and she knows she shouldn't take it, but she feels like she's lost everything. And so she does. And when she opens it, it connects her to a dangerous mermaid named Ophidia who wants back what's inside of the box, which is the comb. And Keela um, is allowed to make a wish in exchange for returning the comb to Ophidia. And of course, the thing that she wants more than anything else is for her mom to come back. So that's it. It's just a story of love. And um, there's a lot of adventure in it as well um, and magic. And also scariness. Ophidia is not a a super nice mermaid at the beginning (laughs) so yeah she can be a little scary it's not your typical Disney mermaid for sure no (laughs) yeah because I really was hoping that that kind of mermaid in the story would be like oh I I have a special comb I'm gonna let this girl use it and make a wish that's not at all what no. she's like is it <laughs> that's not her <laughs> um so I of course have lots of questions and lots of things I want to talk about but I'm gonna let the girls ask their questions first uh Delaney did you want to go first yeah why did you make the book so scary <laughs> <laughs> That is such a good question. And I guess the reason is um, when I was thinking about what to write about, I had this idea of writing a story with a mermaid. And I had read a book called The Tale of Emily Winsnap, which is about a girl who discovers that she is part mermaid. Um, but that book was a little you know, happier, more upbeat. But I had read another book called Coraline. Um, Mm. And that book had a girl who was by herself and was exploring, but it's a little bit darker. And there's a character in that book who is Coraline's other mother, who's a little scary. And I kind of thought, wouldn't it be interesting to combine those those ideas to have kind of a little bit of a scary mermaid story? Um, Ophidia is she's scary, but she's not really bad. She has her reasons for why she's kind of angry and grumpy, but um, I thought that would be kind of mermaid. So that's why I made it a little bit scary. (laughs) I love that. I love that Coraline was one of the influences. I pretty much think that the movie Coraline is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's right. Yes. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Sloan, did you want to ask one of your questions? Um, Sure. Um, so one of my questions is, why is Keela the main character instead of Lissy? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, because Keela is the one who's lost her mom and that, that sad feeling that she has leads her to do some things that bring her in contact with the mermaid. So as I mentioned with um, how she finds the comb, it's kind of, she's developed kind of a recklessness. So her sadness makes her do things that maybe she wouldn't have done before. And all of those things kind of lead to the next thing. So I think that's why she was the person um, that found the comb and was able to 
get the wish with Ophidia. But in some ways too, um, Keela and Ophidia kind of kind of are the same in some ways. They have some similarities. They both have lost things. So I think that connects them a little bit as well. Hmm, that's an interesting thought that Keela and Ophidia yeah. have that in common, huh? Mm-hmm. Did you, Sloane, was Lissy your favorite character? Um, no. No? Who was your favorite character? My favorite character, I would have to say, was um, the mermaid. Was it the mermaid was Ophidia. Yeah. Ophidia. Yeah, she's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, Delaney, mm-hmm. what's your other question? Is St. Rita a real place? Mm, I love that question. It's not a real place, but it's based on a real place. So my uh, father's family is from the island of Barbados in the West Indies. And so a lot of the details about St. Rita are based on Barbados. And so um, I wanted to have a little bit of freedom to change some details. So that's why I didn't just make it Barbados, (laughs) but it is very, very close to that island. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. I love that it took place in the Caribbean. We are still homeschooling and we do this thing where every month we pick a new country to learn about. Um, and we just oh. finished with Jamaica last month. Um, oh, so wonderful. I, I loved all of the little setting details and getting to point it out to the girls like, oh, they're talking about this kind of food. We learned about this food. And yeah, it was perfect timing. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yay. Uh, Sloan, you had one more question. What, why did you write about mer people? Oh, I think it's because we talked about Disney's mermaids and I've always found that really fun. Um, When the little mermaid, the movie, the Disney movie came out, I remember being, I love that movie and I watched it so many times and I could sing along with Ariel. Um, I love that Sebastian, (laughs) the crab had, had a Caribbean accent. I mean, my whole family was like, he has a West Indian accent. (laughs) So I thought it was just fun. And I love mermaid, mermaids in general, but I also kind of liked some movies um, and books that had different kinds of mermaids. Like um, th- you may not have read this yet, but in the Harry Potter series, um, in the fourth book, The Goblet of Fire, there are some mer people that live in the lake and they're involved in one of the challenges that Harry has to do. But those mer people are a little bit scary and a little bit um a little bit different. They're not, you know, they're not like the Little Mermaid. And I thought those were really fun. So kind of these different ideas, I thought it would be fun to explore mermaids. And to me, I always imagine them living someplace beautiful and sunny. So the Caribbean seemed a perfect place for them and for Ophidia to come, to come and live and interact with the people on St. Rita. I love that. I really enjoyed seeing kind of a different take on merpeople. And it made me wonder if, were there any like Caribbean specific folklore merpeople stories that you were drawing on? Or was it very much just like for your own imagination? That's um, really interesting because yes, there are a lot of stories. Um, when I was working on my research, um, I, you know, I started, of course, with the 
Hans Christian Andersen, The Little Mermaid Story, and reread that. Um, and then I started looking for stories about mermaids from lots of different places around the world. And um, in areas of West Africa, there's um, a water spirit called Mamiwata, and different islands had different takes or versions on um, on Mami Wata. But um, a little fun fact about Ophidia was I tried to connect her to the, the stories of Mami Wata by making her very snake-like in her actions and the fact that she has like little slits in her yellow, you know, gold eyes that, um, you know, when she's looking and her movements are very serpentine. And her name, Ophidia, is actually the scientific name for the um, the family of snakes. So if you look oh. up the word Ophidia, it is the name of the, the genus that includes all snakes. And so that was kind of how I connected that. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> Delaney, you love snakes. Yeah, and alligators. And crocodiles. <laughs> Ooh. And we love the, the reference Reptile. to the megalodon tooth was so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a lot of cool details that we got that, very excited about. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, girls, do you want to say anything else before you head off back into the house? No. All right, we'll say, say goodbye. Bye. Oh, did, sorry, Lisa, go ahead. No, that's okay. I was going to add a fun fact. So I didn't know that the girls were twins and I was going to tell them that I actually have twins. I have a boy and a girl twin and my mom is a twin. So I know lots of twins in my family. That is awesome. How old are yours? <laughs> Mine are older. They're 18 now. Oh my goodness. They were a little once. <laughs> <laughs> Not all that long ago, I'm sure it feels right. like. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, girls. Yeah. You want to say goodbye? Bye. 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 -bye. Let them clear off for a second here. Bye, Kissy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I can come close the door. Yes. Oh, thank you, Lisa. That was fun. Oh, that was great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I do. I mean, seriously, I have never seen them. I mean, we've read quite a number of chapter books um, over the last couple of years, but this is the most excited that I've seen them with a book. Um, there was Aww. actually one point last week where they requested that I read to them instead of turn on the TV. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that was that was a first. Um, and then, yeah, last night, like I said, we were up way past bedtime and it ended up being like two straight hours of reading because it was just like one more chapter, one oh. more chapter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't wait to hear what they think when they get to the end. So that's Yeah, <laughs> no, I'll email. I will email and let you know. We're all very, very excited. They've made a lot of predictions. They have a lot of theories. Um, so I think they're really <laughs> looking forward to seeing if they're right about Yay. it. <laughs> Um, so one thing I really enjoyed about the book, um, is, you know, we talked about that world read aloud day is this week and this book, it was just a pleasure to read, um, out loud there. It's, it's not a particularly like poetic book, but there was something Mm -hmm. about it. It just had a really lovely cadence to the words. And this is the sort of thing doing so much more reading aloud that I do these days that you just kind of start to notice. 
Um, so mm-hmm. I was wondering, is that intentional? Do you read your own work aloud? I do read my work aloud. I find that it is a really helpful way to edit um, and to make sure that what you're wanting to say is what's coming across. Um, And being a teacher, I encourage my students to do that. They're working on some things right now. And and my one of my little tips was I want them to read their entire story out loud um, just so that they can hear, you know, your your ears will catch things that your eyes won't. Um, So I do do that. But I think part of um, I'm glad that it comes across very um, lyrical and um, having that that cadence was the storytelling traditions that I was trying to connect with and. Um, there's such a history of like oral storytelling in Black culture and that's come over to the Caribbean. And um, that was something that I I wanted it to feel like a story that the reader was being told um, as well as, you know, there's almost like a story within a story. Yes. No, that really, really comes across. I love all of the Ophidia point of view chapters and how they really do have that very kind of folktale vibe to them and the 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 detail at the beginning the quick crack detail yeah talk talk a little bit about that because I am going to use that now just to like get their (laughs) attention because they love you know getting to to do the little callback um yes so all of the Phidias chapters uh start with the storytelling frame quick crack this is a story um and I use that. Um, it's actually a, um, a traditional um, story beginning used in ma- many of the islands in the Caribbean. Um, and different islands actually have different, you know, frames, ways that storytellers will start a story. But the idea is to connect the audience with the reader. So um, when I use it in front of those chapters that um, is in Ophidia's point of view, it's a signal to the reader that we're kind of going into this oral storytelling um, kind of mode. Um, and then at the end of all of those chapters, it ends that with Crick Crack, the story is put on you. And that phrase um, I found in my research um, is sometimes also used at the end of stories um, to to indicate like the the story is for the reader to decide what it means. And I think as authors, we kind of know that as well, that once, you know, you have a book out there in the world, you know, you kind of don't own it any longer. It belongs to everyone and everyone who reads it is going to have their own things that they take away and their interpretations. And so it's kind of um, harking back to that idea that, you know, there's an interactive um play between the audience and the storyteller, Um, the call and response aspect of that. So I say crick and then the audience has to say, you know, crack. It's part of like the, again, Black storytelling tradition. Um, Sometimes you'll see that like in Black churches where a minister will say something and, you know, will say like, you know, let the church say amen. And then the audience will respond. Mm. It's all part of those traditions that um, have kind of gotten passed on. And it just makes it very much a communal experience telling a story. I love that. And I love seeing it in book form because I do think that it can get lost. Um, you know, it's still, there is still this kind of 
two-way street. Um, you know, the writer puts the words out there, but it we were relying on the reader to come to it and to, to make their own interpretations. Um, but seeing it kind of in this more oral storytelling format, it really makes that relationship much more obvious. And it was fun for me as a mom because I already, like when I'm reading to them, I'm I'm trying to encourage them to like think about what we're reading and let's talk about what we're reading and I just loved that that little detail that makes it um you know really clear that, that that's what's happening here when you're involved in a story. Yeah, thank you. Um how much did you enjoy writing Ophidia's point of view? Um a lot. <laughs> <laughs> tell you were having fun with her (laughs) you know and it's so funny because um when I was thinking about the idea for the story um Ophidia was the the character that was clearest in my head um you know again my premise was you know I wanted to tell a mermaid story set in the Caribbean um you know a little bit have some parts that were a little bit scary or a little bit dark but you know to again just be full of magic and wonder. And so I imagined this mermaid and, you know, what she would look like, you know, her dark skin, but then also, you know, that she was, you know, kind of angry and could, could be kind of dangerous. And the scene in the book um, that where she she's kind of looking for Kila and she actually pulls herself out of the ocean and she's clawing herself her way up a hill was the first scene that I imagined. And uh, that was, I wrote out of order. (laughs) So that was the first scene that I wrote. And then I went back to write other scenes. Um, So with Ophidia, one of the things uh, I worried about was whether to include her point of view or not, because um, one of the things that people tend to tell middle grade writers is, your protagonist, you know, needs to be the kid. And um, here I had this 300 year old mermaid <laughs> to give her, to give her point of view chapters um, would take the focus away perhaps from my, the, my protagonist. Um, but I actually, um, I feel like I, when I read the book, uh, The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill, that really gave me courage to to try it and to see if it would work. Um, because in that book, obviously, she starts off with um, not the girl. <laughs> the 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 girl in the title is not the the she's the main character, but she's not. She doesn't actually come into the book until maybe about eight chapters in, and wow. um, it's just really interesting. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna put these chapters in there and. I think they they really they were enjoyable to write, but I think they're enjoyable for people who are reading it. Mm-hmm. That's so funny because I do think that we and I don't know if it's the authors doing this or the the publishers or where these quote unquote rules come from. <laughs> um, but you do hear that, you know, you hear, oh, it's got to be within this word count or it's got to be your protagonist can only be these ages or, you know, these various rules that we then all feel like we need to ascribe to. But I feel like kids and young readers in general, in a lot of ways, are more willing to be exploratory with reading than a lot of adults are sometimes. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, um, you know, I, when I first, I wrote my first draft of the book um, way back in 2013. And, um, you know, went back and forth with 
some of these ideas. And it just took me developing confidence as a writer to go ahead and do it the way my instincts were leading me. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to uh, sometimes, you know, the the advice that's out there is really helpful, but then sometimes you have to kind of go against what the, you know, the popular advice might say is the way to do something. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And I think, um, you know, listening to your instincts and that's something that I guess we build over time. Um, it's hard to do as a new writer, as an aspiring writer, you know, you feel like, oh, if, if the market says I need to do this, then I don't want to ruin my chances by not doing it. Um, but at the same time, every book and every story is going to be different. And sometimes you just have to say, yeah, but this is the book I'm writing and this is what it needs to be to be its best. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So on that so on a super similar related note, um, as we've talked about already a fair amount and the girls were asked about, uh, there's a lot of darkness and a lot of creepiness. Like it's, you really are leaning into some pretty scary things. Uh, death comes up in a number of different ways throughout the book. Um, and of course, Ophidia herself is just so eerie and vicious at times. So I myself am not super well-read in middle grade. What are, in your mind, of course, we just talked about, like, don't set (laughs) arbitrary (laughs) rules for yourself. But do you think that there is a line that middle grade authors can cross and go too far? Um, And maybe what are some things that an author can be thinking about if they're starting to wonder or worry like maybe this is too dark for the age group mm-hmm. I'm looking at. I think that you're right about, um, you know, not trying to set too many rules for yourself. But I think one thing that's really helpful is to read widely um, within recently published books in the, you know, the genre that you're interested in. Um, so I teach fifth and sixth grade. Um, so I read a lot of middle grade books or, you know, will hear about books uh, and book talk them to students or students will give me book recommendations. Um, so there there are, I think, um, some of the books that resonate with students most um, tackle some of those tough topics. Um, and I think books that can, that might be a little scary, um, they also give kids like a safe place to explore those feelings, you know, so it's not like nothing scary is going to actually happen to them, but they can feel through the characters' experiences, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's happening. And then I think the other aspect of my book is it deals with grief. It's kind of like the, that one of the central um, themes, grief and and love, I think both kind of go hand in hand. And um, so Keela in my book is dealing with the loss of her mother and that grief is very real to her. Um, and it's not something that she is able to deal with on her own. And so part of, um, you know, the process that she goes through in the book is reconnecting with friends and family who help and support her. And as a teacher and, um, you know, a parent, I've seen kids who have dealt with um, real issues of grief, whether it's losing, um, you know, a parent or losing a loved one um, or even, you know, losing a pet. I think all of those feelings are real to kids. And so reading a book about another kid who 
is experiencing similar feelings, but makes it through to the other side and showing kind of the the positive um, aspects of leaning on the people who love you um, and taking their support and those adults in her life, seeing that she needs um, that support and kind of rallying around her. I think those, those kind of stories are important just to give kids um, kind of comfort that mm. whatever, whether they've experienced these things or not, you know, it can be okay. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think that kids are often tougher than we give them credit for. Um, and I also like when it comes to the, the scary parts, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for kids to be scared a little bit. Like I know when I was little, I loved scary things. Like I wasn't going (laughs) to watch the shining or anything, but I loved things that were just a little spooky. Um, and, and I think that they're, I'm not a psychologist, but I feel like there's gotta be some sort of psychological benefits to exploring your, your own courage and what is scary to you, but being able to do it in these kind of safe, you know, the pages of a book. Right. And I think, you know, there are lots of examples of books that um, kids have loved over the years that, you know, Coraline, I mentioned is an example and, you know, but they're, you know, all the way back to like R.L. Stein and the Goosebumps series. I I know. (laughs) know, Or even fairy tales, Grimm's fairy tales too, for sure. They are. They, they definitely, I think, you know, we sometimes enjoy being a little bit scared, but again, knowing that you're still safe and you're reading about it, you know, to happening to another person character, and then you yeah. can always close the book. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you had pushed things too far? And did you worry like, maybe I need to pull back here or vice versa? Were there parts when you thought, hi, oh, I still got to dig deeper. This still isn't creepy enough. No, I think there were, I think everything needed to have, um, kind of a reason to be there. And so, um, I think about even things that characters, um, did, you know, I had, um, some things where, you know, character, you know, did something that was maybe a little bit, you know, mean. And then I would think about like, well, you know, this is a person who has a relationship with, you know, Kila. So would they really do that? And, you know, no, it's not really quite doesn't it's not quite believable that you know they would do that and so I think it's the same thing with um you know the the monsters and the magic that you know there there are moments where you know you want that kind of suspense and a little bit of threat but then um also other points where I was like yeah that's enough (laughs) (laughs) well I know the last I don't even know how many hundred 150 pages or so have been so intense. I mean, super just page turner. Um, and like I mentioned, we're so excited to see how it ends. Um, I did want to ask, so you are a teacher. Um, and I think I said, I saw in your bio fifth and sixth grade mostly. Yes. So right in your age group wheelhouse now, (laughs) um, how has that influenced your writing or this book in particular? Um, a lot because um, I am somebody who tries to um, build a community of writers in my classroom. And so um, one of the little um, fun facts about my book was that I wrote it um, 
the original draft during NaNoWriMo. And I, yes. And so I also use the NaNoWriMo Young Writers Program in my classroom. So um, the year that I drafted uh, Comb of Wishes, um, my fifth graders and I, we all kind of, you know, shared what our word counts would be. And, you know, every day in November, you know, I dedicated some class time and we'd write and we'd sit there, you know, and everybody's keywords would be clacking and, you know, they <laughs> would know how, how far I was towards my goal. And I would say, you know, check in with them. And so um, it was great. And I've done that for, I think this is my ninth year that we've done it. Um, so every year we do NaNoWriMo together. I always write with them. Um, I don't always do well <laughs> in terms of my winning. <laughs> the uh, Co of Wishes actually was my first win. So I actually did get to 50,000 in the 30 days. Um, and then I had a um, another book that, um, a manuscript that I also won. But out of the eight or nine times, only two times have I gotten <laughs> But uh, they, they're, you know, they're excited. And so the last year or two, um, you know, since the book has been acquired, you know, I've been working on a little bit of a rebel. And so I'll, you know, work on revisions when, you know, they're working on their new stories. But it really um, has been great to, you know, kind of go on the publishing journey and be able to share details with my students about, you know, how did the books that they love get onto the shelves? And, you know, if you, they wanted to be a writer, like what are the steps that writers take to actually um, publish a book? Um, so we talk about all of those things. I love that. I Young Marissa would have been so excited if I had someone <laughs> in my life that I could be like, look, she's doing it. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, so I, I do a lot of work with Nano. I also just love Nano and have used it for a bunch of books over the years. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm always, I love the young writers program, but I've never actually got to see it at work. Ah, just it's wonderful. I bet. I mean, I love the idea and I'm curious at that age, and it probably runs the gamut, but do you get just a ton of enthusiasm or do you like, I guess I'm thinking even as adults, we, we fight with feelings of doubt. We feel like, is my story mm-hmm. good enough? Um, am I wasting my time? Is this going to go anywhere? I mean, all of the things that kind of come along with being creative. And I'm wondering, do you see that at that age also? Like, is there some pushback or are they just like, yeah, let's <laughs> tell a story. This is great. <laughs> I think it's a little of both. So I usually introduce it. I found that not to introduce it too early where, you know, they, some of them might tend to worry like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. (laughs) And so somewhere, somewhere in the middle of uh, October, usually I'll say, Hey, you know, and actually I open the conversation with them, having them talk about creativity and like what they think creativity means to them. And um, we usually come up with the final kind of our thought about it being that creativity is Um, a skill and not like a talent. So like, you're not like born being creative or born being not creative, that it's something that you can practice. And so that kind of gets them in the mindset to think, okay, I can, you know, I can learn how to be creative and come up with ideas. And then I tell them about nano and then they get scared (laughs) a little bit, (laughs) but um, the program is so flexible for young, um, young writers that they, 
they can set their own goals. And so um, they give you some suggestions as teachers of like what to suggest for different age groups. Um, but, you know, it's a K-12 uh, program. And so usually what I've found is, you know, they say maybe about a thousand words for every grade level. So for my fifth graders, you know, I actually go a little under just to like give them this, this motive. So I say 4,000 words is your minimum that I would love for you to, you know, to aim towards. But honestly, it's a personal goal. Whatever you write is more than you had on the page at the beginning of the month. So everything's a success, but um, they said, you know, some will stick with that 4,000 because I, I break it down for them about that's only 133 words a day. Uh-huh. Like, you know, a paragraph that we do for, you know, our classwork usually is longer than that. So you probably could do that easily. And so there's some that'll stick with that. Um, but most of my students get really excited once they kind of figure out that I'm not limiting them. They, they don't have to write about a particular topic. They can get choose the length that they want it to be and they can change it. Like I say, you know, it's not set in stone. If you start off with, you know, 7,000 words is your goal and then you get going and realize you're halfway to your goal in the first three days, you can increase it. Or if it's the opposite, like you're lagging behind, you can decrease it. It's totally flexible. And um, so, yeah, I had a hundred percent meet their goal this year. They were so excited. And um, when, since I also teach sixth grade at the same school, some, we don't do the program officially in the sixth grade, but, you know, anybody can sign up. And a lot of the students will tell me it was one of their favorite writing experiences that they've had. So that's really makes me happy. Yeah, no, that is awesome to hear. And yeah, I just think it's a great thing. I know I would have loved it. Like, really? I, this is an assignment? Count me in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um. So... Last question before we get on to our bonus round. Uh, we usually ask this question at the beginning, um, but of course I wanted to let the girls kind of take center stage. Um, but I love to hear authors' origin stories. Um, so how, I mean, you've kind of talked a little bit about writing with your students and doing nano, um, but just typically, like when did you know you wanted to be a writer or what were the steps you went through to uh, to now having your debut book coming out? <laughs> Um, thank you. I, I guess, you know, I love to write even when I was much younger. Well, I love to read. I guess that's really the origin story. So I was like a voracious reader when I was a kid and um, became well known to my school librarians. Um, you know, they would hold books for me that, you know, they got something new and then they would say, oh, we got this new book in, you know, we think you might like it. So I just read a ton and um, I like to write. and. Um, I started, you know, getting feedback from teachers that, you know, I was good at it. <laughs> and so, um, but I didn't really do anything beyond um, high school or college with writing on my own. Um, when I was um, teaching, I decided to go back to graduate school kind of partway through my teaching career. Uh, this is maybe about 10 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago now. But when I was uh, back in grad school, we were taking I had to take up, you know, classes on adolescent literature and classes on adolescent writing. And one of the classes was um, you got to choose your writing project. So I thought, huh, you know, I haven't written anything fiction fun for a long time. Why don't I, I choose a project that's um, 
a middle grade story or a YA story. I wasn't really sure at that point um, what I wanted to do, but I wrote a chapter of uh, a story as my final project. And that's got me thinking again about, hmm, you know, I, I might like to write a book. <laughs> I teach books all the time. Um, so I started um, doing research about like what kinds of organizations I could, because I, as a teacher, I knew I needed to learn. I could, you know, teach a lesson on, you know, someone else's work, but in terms of writing my own, I, I needed to kind of go back to school <laughs> per se. So, um, you know, I, I joined, you know, writing organizations. I went to conferences. I uh, found a critique group and started to share some things that I'd written. And the critique group that I had was really kind and pointed out some of those like things that, um, you know, beginning writers, like I, it was the story that I had kind of played with, um, had um, those adult characters talking and they were like, well, you might want to have <laughs> your, you know, your child's character be the one who's the POV. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so that's what started it. And as I said, I discovered NaNoWriMo and um, started writing with my students. And after I finished um, a Comb of Wishes manuscript, um, I, again, knew that I needed I needed to revise and I needed to kind of get help with getting other people's feedback. And um, so I looked and found that there were some mentorships that uh, I could apply for and had some great mentors who helped me with different things. Um, I had one who was a YA author who was really great with giving me feedback on kind of like some of the suspense and the, the parts of the book that might seem scary, but like how to like, you know, create that tension. And then I had another mentor who helped me with voice because she wrote more middle grade and just developing Kilo's voice. Um, and then I queried and was lucky enough to be offered representation and, and finally make it to uh, being acquired by Rosemary Bronson at uh, HarperCollins Quiltry Books. So it's been a long journey, but um, very rewarding. And um, I'm excited that the book is so close to coming out in the world and other readers being able to read it for the first time. Oh my gosh. There's nothing like that first book coming out. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for you and congratulations. And thank you for writing this book that brought me and my girls so much joy and togetherness. So we are going to now wrap this up with the happy writer bonus round, starting with cake or pie? Cake. <laughs> I love cake. <laughs> Me too. It's pie can be my good, favorite word. Cake would be my, yeah, my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> Music or silence? Silence. I, it's funny because when I write, um, I did listen to some music, um, like I listened to some clips so early on when I was drafting to kind of channel the vibes of the island, but generally I'd like it to be quiet um, or I might like play background, like, um, you know, like um, wind blowing through the leaves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not music, but yes, more silence, definitely. Sunny beach or snowy mountains? Definitely sunny beach. I was totally hoping we, you were going to say snowy mountains just for like, uh, <laughs> throw a curveball there. We just had a we just had a blizzard in Boston and mm -hmm. we got twenty three point eight inches. So Oof. 
I'm waiting for the sunny beaches again. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. <laughs> Megalodon or Kraken? Ooh, neither one are very good, but I will go with the Megalodon. Less arms, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> Disney or Hans Christian Andersen? Hans Christian Andersen. There's so many great stories. And again, I know a lot of those were passed down and he kind of collected them. But um, yeah, I like those old stories. What is your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with reading or writing? Knitting. I am a knitter and um, I don't knit as often as I would like to, but um, I learned a long time ago when I was in elementary school and I love to, to knit things. What book makes you happy? Um, I obviously my own book, but <laughs> obviously books. Um, we just finished reading um, One Crazy Summer in my classroom, and I love that book. I love the characters. So that book makes me happy, kind of to see that, a family, lots of different versions of family. What are you working on next? So I'm working on another standalone middle grade fantasy. Um, it is set in a totally different place than St. Rita. <laughs> um, my students today asked me, um, they said something about, I seem to like books books that have oceans in them because I was just book talking a couple things. They were like, you seem to like books about the water or ocean. And I said, well, my next book actually takes place in a desert. So it's <laughs> totally different. <laughs> you have many like, oh. layers, Lisa. Don't let them put you in a box. Yes. <laughs> But um, I like to think about that book as um, kind of, a, again, with a, a fairy tale-ish type uh, re, like a vibe to it. But it's like, um, I call it my princess in a tower book, but with a West African um, inspiration. So mm -hmm. that's what I'm working on. Fun. Where can people find you? I am, I have a website. It's my name, lisaspringfellow.com. And I'm also very active on Twitter. Uh, that's where a lot of teachers tend to hang out. So that's where I started <laughs> as an educator. Um, my, my username there is Engage Readers. Um, and I'm the same also on Instagram. Lastly, at one point in the book, it talks about a sweetbread that is made by Miss Ennis that tastes of coconut and nutmeg. Can I have that recipe? <laughs> I will find it for you. Oh, I was My hoping you were going to say it's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> My grandmother used to bake that for me and I loved it. And so I definitely... Um, need to make that at some point. So I will dig that up. It sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Awesome. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Readers, definitely check out A Comb of Wishes. It is available this week. And if you have littles like I do, again, highly recommend as a family read aloud. We all enjoyed it. Of course, we always encourage you to support your local indie bookstore if you can. 
If you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. Next week, I will be talking with Sarah Winifred Searle about her new graphic novel, The Greatest Thing, as well as her short story contribution in the Serendipity Anthology, edited by yours truly. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.